our uh, relationship to God's Word should be. Uh, we want to be a people who, we, we really believe this is our authority. Uh, someone said to me this week, when, when I come to Ashland, I feel like um, you're, not just, you're not just coming up with your own ideas, you're just, you're just in the Bible. And uh, I wish I could have videoed that comment because it's exactly what we, on, in our own words, want to be. We just want to be in the Bible week after week after week. We believe it's the Bible that's going to shape us in who, into who God wants us to be. Uh, it's the Word of God that conforms us into the image of Christ. And we as the people of God should long for the Word of God more than we long for food, more than we long for air, more than we long for drink. It is our only hope. Uh, and so we want to be reminded today of what we have in the Scriptures, God's Word. And we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word at this time. Hear the words of Christ through the Apostle Peter. Words he, He's given to us for this exact moment to transform us, to shape us. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Oh God, I pray that you would change us by these words, that they would be like small daggers, these verses that pierce us today and, and awaken our hearts to your word, that we, we would long for your word, that we would scream to be fed by your word. God, we, we pray for that. We we, we want to be a people of your word. We want to be a people who are transformed by your word. And yet we know at the end of the day, this is done by the power of your spirit. And so we come before you today dependent on your spirit to move. And it's in the name of Christ we ask. Amen. I will never eat a candied apple again in my life. Ever. Uh, as a matter of fact, I cannot stand, even saying the word kind of makes me nauseous at this moment. I, I can't stand the sight of these, you, you know what I'm talking about, candied apples, apples covered in candy that you get at a fair. Uh, because of candy apples, it's really hard for me to even think about going to a county fair. And, and some of you have tried to entice me even this week by talking about there's a Bigfoot in town. Uh, there's pro wrestling at one county fair. Somebody said, you got to come with me to this county fair. They're going to have really bad pro wrestling. And we know that you like really bad pro wrestling. But I, I can hardly stand the thought of going to even a county fair. It was a hot summer night in Lewisburg, Tennessee, and the fair was in town. And there's nothing like a low-rent fair the, the smell of gasoline running generators that, uh, that, that, that power these metal death traps that we call rides, just the flashing lights of tilt-a-whirls and creeks and winds of machinery that you crawl into that you don't know if you're going to live through it. 
And on this one night, my friends and I, I guess I was about 10 or 11, uh, we decided that we were going to spend the whole night at this ride that we loved called the Zipper. And it carries you up in the air, and flips you around and spins on the way down and then carries you back up. And we rode this ride at least on that night at least 20 times. And in between each ride, we would stand around waiting, just gorging ourselves with cotton candy, standing over to the side, waiting, you know. And, and also, I remember looking at the pla uh, plastic cheap knives that they bring in from China to, to sell you, like they're, gonna, they're, they're really valuable or something. And we would peruse the knives, gorge ourselves on cotton candy, and get back on the zipper. And each time we would remind ourselves that this was fun, that, that we would believe the lie, I'm not really sick, my head's not really swimming, I can eat more cotton candy, look, this glorious thing called cotton candy, and just eat it in this magnificent ride that scares us to death, the adrenaline rush over and over and over again. And on this night, as I left the fair, I, I saw this night something that I had never seen before, a candied apple. And it glistened like the fruit in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> as I was leaving the fair, and I, I remember asking my mom, can, I, can you get me one of those? And I, she did. And on the way home, I wolfed down this candy apple after all the cotton candy, after all the rides. And I'll never forget the moment, I remember it so vividly, when I laid my head on my bed and realized this is not going to turn out well. <laughs> and, and the reason I can't eat a candied apple is because it was the candied apple that made the most impact on my senses as I hugged the toilet. It was the candy apple that I tasted. It was the candied apple that I smelled. It, it, it was the candied apple that I remember so vividly. And it's hard for me to eat cotton candy, but I will vomit if you hold in front of me a candied apple. I will never eat one again. And, and this is an exact picture of what the promises of sin do to us in the world. Sin promises us these glorious things. And we believe the lie. This isn't bad for me. This isn't going to hurt me. This isn't going to make me miserable. This isn't going to make me sick. The promise of sin in flashing lights and glorious smells and glorious sounds and sin tastes so good at first. And yet, so often, we are vomiting <laughs> We are sick at our stomach. Our head is swimming. And we continually tell ourselves, no, this is good for us. And, and this is exactly the picture that Peter paints for us when he talks about the enticement of sin and yet the promise of the Word of God. He, he, he calls us, how do you restrain yourself from the candied, appled promises of sin? Well, you gorge yourself on the hope of God's Word to the point you don't want it any longer. Now remember, Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering. They're suffering throughout the known world. Uh, they're suffering because the Emperor Nero in Rome has accused Christians of trying to burn down Rome. 
And they are being alienated. And they are being pushed out of positions of power. And they are being looked down upon. They're having their family members disown them. It would be like folks saying the Christians are the ones who, who flew the planes into the World Trade Center. The Christians are the ones trying to destroy our country. This is the same thing they were being accused of in Rome, although it wasn't true. It would be like saying the Christians tried to burn down Washington, D.C. And all of a sudden, everywhere you go, people who know you are a Christian begin to alienate you, begin to push you out. And that's how these Christians are suffering. And the natural response, anytime we are persecuted, we are opposed, is what? To lash back, to rage back. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I don't want you to fight with the same weapons the world fights with. I want you to love. In the face of opposition, as you are persecuted, your response, as we saw last week, is to be a sincere brotherly love. The way you wage war against the world that's raging against you is you love. Now, how in the world can you do that? Well, if your kingdom is here and now, you're going to rage. But if you have a better kingdom coming to you, you can love. And that's what he calls us to here in our text. First of all, we see the weeds of hate and the seed of love. Notice verse 1, he says, So put away all malice. Put away all hatred and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. He, he says, therefore, in light of everything we talked about so far back in chapter 1, that you are loved by God. God has set His love upon you. He has set you apart by the Holy Spirit. You are covered in the blood of Christ. God, even in your suffering, is doing something amazing. He's giving you faith like gold. How is He doing it? He has given you the everlasting seed of His Word that has begun to grow within you and to create new life within you. In light of all of that, put off sins of hate. The word here for put off literally means to take off like clothing. And, and, and it's a picture of the way we apply the Word of God. The Word of God comes and creates something new within us. And what we do with our old sin is we take it off. We put it away as the Word of God transforms us. This is how we engage in sanctification with the Word. When you believe the Gospel... When you believe the gospel, the Spirit of God becomes in your heart with the gospel like a seed and begins to grow new life. And that growth of new life, it begins to push out your old desires. It begins to cover, it begins to grow, and it begins to suffocate the old person you were. And the way you participate in that is you take those things off. They're dead. Your sin is dead. Take it off. Don't carry these dead weeds around. Don't carry this dead person around, this person of hatred. No, you're being transformed by love. Take that off. You guys who are really into growing grass in your yard, you know how this works. You, you plant the seeds, you aerate, and, and then what do you have to do with the weeds? You kill the weeds. 
And then what do you have to do with old grass and old weeds that's just lying there? You rake it out and you clear it out so that new grass can grow. It's the same way you participate with the Spirit of God and the seed of the Word of God growing in your heart. There is new life coming forth. You rake away the old life. You burn it. You destroy it. You push it away by choosing to love. Here he says, as the word of the kingdom grows in you, repent, clear out these dead weeds of hate, malice here. The the plans that you have just to make others miserable, that desire in your heart where you just say, I don't like that person, so I'm going to gossip about that person. I'm going to slander that person. I'm going to shun and alienate that person. If you have the new life of the gospel growing inside of you, you take that off and you love. You commit yourself to that person. You serve that person. You you think of yourself last and least, and you plan to serve and love others. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? Can I bring you a meal? Can I keep your kids? How can I serve you? Thinking of yourself last, you put off plans for hatred, and you put on love. Notice you also put off deceit. The the deceit here described is lies that sort of maneuver and manipulate your way to get what you want. Half-truths that make yourself look better than others, that make the situation look better than it really is. He says if you have the seed of truth growing in you, you will be a person who tells the truth. Your words define who you are. And if you're a person of falsehood, you are telling a lie about the gospel that's defining who you are. The gospel is the word of truth. And if you're being transformed by the word of truth, you will speak truth, no matter what it costs you, no matter what the consequences. He also says, put off hypocrisy. This is the plastic mask that we put on to please others. I want to be cool. I want to be accepted. I want to be liked no matter what. And he says, no, you have the promised seed of the kingdom growing within you. You lack nothing in Christ. He's conquered sin and death. He will make all things new. That The seed of this kingdom is living in you in the word. You have nothing to hide. Nothing to hide and nothing to lose. You can almost walk around with a holy swagger. Like, man, I am who I am in Christ. I'm accepted. I'm beloved of God. I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to lose. And you take off hypocrisy in freedom as the Word of God is changing you. Notice he talks about envy here. The the sort of jealousy we have when others are, are, are blessed and we're not. Or when others are put in a position we're not. One of the signs that you're growing as a Christian is you can be happy for the success of others. You can just be happy. Oh, you guys are having a baby? Yes, that's great. I'm so excited for you. Even when God may have not blessed you in that way. Oh, you're getting the promotion? Yes! Even though maybe you wanted the promotion. Oh, God is blessing you with with a raise? Yes! Even in your heart where you want to say, man, don't y'all have enough money? 
You can be happy, genuinely happy for others when the seed of the love of the gospel is growing within you. He calls us to take off that envy. He calls us to take off slander. This is where we just disparage others with, with, with subtle untruths. No, when the gospel is growing within us, when the word is growing within us, we are willing to, to point out and encourage others instead of highlighting their flaws. Instead of looking and nitpicking. No, we look and we see, yeah, you're high maintenance, but look what God is doing. Yeah, I don't like this about you, but man, look what God is doing in this area of your life. And you look for ways to encourage instead of slander. Now, this is how the word of the kingdom is making us new. And as the word of the kingdom is making us new, we are taking these things off. We are raking them away like dead grass. We are taking this dead person off of us to grow. And notice verse 2, what this does. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Here we we see puked promises and the pure milk of the Word of God. He says, like newborns. And, And the imagery here fits with everything he's told us about who we are in Christ. In Christ, we have been given new birth. The Word of God has made us new. We have been born again. We, we have been born into the family of God. And so we are, like, we are like babies in the family of God. And what do babies do? They scream to be fed. And what do they want to be fed with? Milk. And, and he says the same thing that has brought you and birthed you into the family of God is what you scream for. The pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. And you long for it like a baby, like an infant screams to be fed. And notice he says pure spiritual milk. It is uncontaminated. And notice verse 2, this long and crave is a command. It's a command. Why do we have to be commanded to long for the Word of God? Because it's not natural. And he says, I want you to think about a baby who doesn't have to be commanded to scream for food. They don't. Babies don't have to be taught to eat. They just innately know, feed me! And they scream like a baby. They shriek. Wake you up at three in the morning. They just do. It's time to eat. And he says, this is the way you are to long for the Word of God. Just an innate desire to scream for food, and yet there's a command. Crave it. Long for it. In this world that is tainted with sin and death, you are to scream for the milk of the Word of God. This is exactly what Jesus described for us when He talked about the Word of God. As Jesus is tempted in the wilderness... Uh, as the Word of God is, is questioned before Satan himself, and he's called to make stones into bread because he's hungry. What is Jesus' response? Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the promises of God. Do you long for the promises of God the way you long for bread? Do you? Do you long for the Word of God the way that you long for drink and air? Jesus says we are to crave it in that way. Peter, before Jesus, there's this question. Are you guys going to, uh, are are, are y'all going to to depart and leave me? 
in some sense, Jesus asked the disciples. And Peter turns to him and says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. Whatever, whatever may come, we need the words of life more than we need anything, more than we need comfort, more than we need success. We need the Word of God. And notice, it is pure milk. It is sour milk makes you sick. The promises of sin, they make you sick. And yet the Word of God, it, it is what purges, it is what pushes out the toxins of sin that you so easily ingest and make you miserable to the degree which you are Feasting on the Word of God will be the degree, the degree that you are able to reject sin in your life. Because it is the Word of God that pushes those things out of your life. It is the Word of God that flushes those things out of your life. And, and, and the believer in coming to Christ is the one who has literally vomited the promises of sin and is screaming for the promises of God in Christ. Some of you are here today and you are nauseated on the promises of sin because you are guilty. And you are sick with guilt today. You know what you need today? Pure spiritual milk of the gospel. You need to be reminded today in the Word of God that there is no condemnation for you in Jesus Christ if you believe the gospel. Some of you are here today and you are bloated with lethargy. You, you, you don't have that fire in your gut to serve Jesus. You really don't want to have much to do with the mission of God. And, and you are lethargic. You know what you need to do? You need to get in the Word of God. You need to get in the Bible. You need to read and be reminded of the joy and freedom that comes with serving Jesus and His church. You need to be in the Word of God. Some of you are here today and you are intoxicated and hung over with the lie that you are king of your life and it is making you miserable. You know what you need today? You need to sober up with the Word of God. You need to walk in the pages of Scripture with the King of kings, remembering He is God's King, not you. He is King of the universe, not you. The world doesn't revolve around you. And walking in the pages of Scripture with this King, you purge the lies, the promises of sin from your life that you can rule your life. That there's a life better uh, apart from Jesus. And, and we walk in the pages of Scripture and the degree you make the Word of God the priority is the degree that you will reject sin as your priority. Notice, the text continues, as we do this, as we crave this milk, notice what happens. That by it, the Word of God, spiritual milk, the promise of the kingdom that we have in the Scriptures, this seed that is implanted in us, by it, we grow up into salvation. Now, some of you wonder why you're not growing spiritually. It's because you're not in the Word of God. You're, you, you're, the Word of God is not a priority. And so you're not maturing. Notice, grow up. It means to be mature. It means to become a man. It means to become an adult. And it is the natural progression development in life. And it is the natural progression development for the Christian who's in the Word. If you're in the Word, you will grow up, he says, into this kingdom, this salvation, this inheritance that you have that he's spoken throughout, this Word of the promise. You will grow into it, and it will shape you, and it will mature you. We see here the Word is the, the, the seed and, and, and feed of the Christian life. It, it's, what, it's what weeds out 
and implants seed and then makes us grow. It does all of that. It is the seed and the fertilizer of the Christian life. It brings life into our hearts, the spiritual life, and then it is the Word that continues to grow. So we don't just believe the gospel. Yes, Jesus died for my sins, rose from the dead, will rule and reign forever, and I get in that kingdom. Yes, I believe that, and then just move along and expect God to to be with us and His promises to be that. No, we believe the gospel and then we dig even further into the Word of God. I want to note, notice, grow into this salvation. If you are a Christian, your mind has been blown by the gospel and all you want to know is more about it. How did God do this? Why did God do this? What's on the other end of this? I've got to dig into the Word of God and and I've got to know more. And you begin to grow up into this kingdom. Now, Biblically, maturity and growth is always defined by Jesus. What is the Spirit of God doing for the Christian? He's conforming us in to the image of Christ. And so you want to know what maturity looks like in the Christian life. You want to know if you're growing. You want to know, you, you want to know if the Spirit is shaping you and changing you. You look to Jesus because He's the definition of maturity the the one son who fully trusted the father no matter what he is the mature man and and, and as you look to Jesus as you look to this salvation in the word of God God begins to mature you now what does that look like well we spoke earlier about babies that they don't know anything else but to scream to be fed and they don't really trust that you're going to feed them You know, as many times as you walk into that room every two and a half to three hours or or, or every hour and a half to two hours, however you do it, and you walk in the room when they scream, however you do it, they still don't trust that you're going to do it. Why? Because they're still screaming. Come feed me again! Where are you? If, If it could be words. Get in here! I'm hungry! Now, as they grow, they're supposed to put off that behavior. And they always don't, because then it's not just milk. It's, give me that toy! But they're to trust that you're going to take care of them, and so they're not screaming. And the same thing happens in your life as a Christian. God, are you going to take care of me? Are you going to feed me? And then the more you grow into this salvation... The more you look to the cross and resurrection and kingdom, you begin to say, oh, he's going to feed me. He's fed me in the past. I have the promise he's going to feed me in the future. And then you look to Jesus out in the wilderness who says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but the promises that come from God. And you see maturity as one who has self-control. Kids, they grab their toys and they say, mine. That's immaturity. Some of you are doing that today, even as a Christian. You have all of your stuff, your time, your schedule, and you cling to it and you say, mine! But the more you walk with Jesus and you see one who gave his life on a cross for you and all he had was given over to you, you're no longer in maturity going, mine. You're saying, who can I give this to? Who can I serve with what God has given me? The children look at their dads and moms And you tell them to do something sometimes, and they have that demonic thought 
that they can just do whatever they want? And they say, no. Now, in my house, I, I was, you, you're like two, and you just looked at me and said, no. Do you just realize, do you know I'm an adult? I'm a grown man who's really strong, and I, I could do whatever I wanted to, to you right now. And you just looked at me and said, no. Why, why do they do that? They don't understand what's going on. They are immature. And they don't always obey. Why? They're immature. They don't understand the world just yet. They don't understand authority just yet. And you cultivate that in them as signs of self-control and signs of maturity. Guess what? The same thing happens to you as a Christian. The same thing happens in your life. How, how many of you here today are looking at God and going, No! No! I ain't doing that. I know you say that in your word. No! And you know how stupid that is? The one who created everything by his word has just commanded you with his word and you stand before him and say, no! But the more you're in the word, the more you're walking with Jesus and you see one who stood before the Father as the wrath of God was about to be unleashed upon him and in the garden as he sweat drops of blood, he said, no matter what, I'm obeying you. There's no no here. Thy will be done. And the more you walk with Him, guess what you're saying? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. You're no longer screaming no. Why? Those are marks of maturity in your life. But here's the key. You've got to be in the Word. You've got to be walking with Jesus in the Word. Jesus is the one who's mature. Jesus is not screaming no. He's not, he's not wondering if the Father's going to feed him. He's not screaming mine. And, and we walk with him and our reflexes become the same reflexes of Jesus to do what is right before God, to do what is right out of love. If you're not walking with Jesus, those won't be the tendencies in your life. You won't even know what they look like. You'll be like the baby screaming in the crib, feed me, feed me, mine, mine, no! Oh, don't you want to grow? Oh, we got an illustration over here. Don't you want to grow? Don't you want to walk? Don't you want to mature into adulthood? And notice, he says here, all of this happens, verse 3, if indeed you have tasted it, the Lord is good. You see, the Word is the goodness of God that we taste. He says, you will go back to the beginning, put off sin, rake it away. You will crave the Word of God. You will grow in the Gospel. Notice the contingency. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. These things will be evident in your life if you've tasted the goodness of God. In Scripture, the goodness of God, it, it, is, it is described by His blessings. He, he gives you what He says He will give you. He loves you. He's kind to you. He, he displays His goodness by what He does. But note, notice the text. Indeed, if you have tasted, the Lord is good. It is the Lord Himself who is good. It is the Lord who says, I will do this. And then he does it. And you say, yes, he's good. He's faithful. He's true. Now, Peter here quotes from Psalm 34 where David... Now imagine this. You're king of Israel and now your son has betrayed you. 
And he is chasing you down trying to kill you. Trying to your, your family is split in half and your life is at stake. And in Psalm 34, David begins to sing. <laughs> Even as he is being chased by his own son, he worships the Lord. And he turns to those who are around him as he is exiled, as he is away from the city, away from his family, his life's in danger, and he says, taste and see the Lord is good. In the midst of suffering, he turns and says, I'm here to tell you the Lord is good. The Lord always does what he says. So my son is shooting arrows at me. Taste and see the Lord is good. No matter what's going on around, Peter says, you can, you can taste and see the Lord is good even in your suffering. And Peter's point here is the world will not always be good to you. Therefore, you must always be in the Word to be reminded the Lord is always good. The Lord's always good. How do you know that? You're in the Word of God that over and over and over and over again says, look, God is good. God always fulfills His promises. He gives a promise and then He does it. He's good. From Genesis to Revelation... You see the good news that God is good over and over and over again. He speaks in Genesis. And then the end of the story is displayed in His goodness in Revelation as His goodness comes down and it envelops the globe. You, you, you have the goodness of God displayed for you right here. If you're having trouble today believing God is good, when's the last time you read your Bible? When's the last time you opened up the pages of Scripture to see story after story of God's goodness? Now, we like to say all the time God is good, God is good all the time. We like to hashtag that and all that. That's fine. You should do that if you really believe that. And how do you believe it? We know full well on this side of the cross and resurrection the goodness of God. The Lord has been more than good to us in sending His Son to die for our sins and raising Him from the dead and promising we will be raised from the dead too. We know the goodness of God only because of the Gospel. It's because of the Gospel you know God is good. It's in the Gospel you taste and see the Lord is good. Now notice the process here in just these verses. Notice this process of being made holy, sanctified by the Word. Notice in verse 3, it actually begins, if indeed you've tasted the Lord is good in the gospel, you will take off sin. You will crave the Word of God. And as you do that, you will grow into the image of Jesus. This is, how we lead. This is the, the heart of the Christian life. Tasting and seeing the Lord is good. He's better than sin. So you take sin off. And what does that cause you to do? Crave for more of the Word of God. And what do you find in the Word of God? The goodness of God. And you taste again that God is good. And what do you do? You take off sin. And as you take off sin, what do you do? You crave for more of the Word of God. And you get in the Word of God. And guess what you find out? Again, God is good. And you taste God is good. Do you see how that works? That, that, that's how that works in the Christian life. Notice the cycle here. 
The reason you're not delighting in the Word of God is you're not delighting in the Gospel. The reason you're not delighting in the Gospel is because you're not delighting in the Word of God. Do you get it? Oh, I just don't have a heart to read the Bible. Oh, come to the cross with me. Come to the cross where, where God hangs His Son on wood and unleashes his, the fury of His wrath for your sin. On the cross, there was nothing good for Jesus. There's no goodness from the Father for Jesus on the cross. And that's exactly what you deserve. To be alienated, to be separated, to be forsaken by God forever. That's what you deserve. And yet there on the cross is the goodness of God for you. In flesh and bone, hung to die for your sins. Oh, you don't believe God is good? Come to the empty tomb where his body began to stiffen after three days, began to smell. And all of a sudden, his heart began to pump blood through the tendons and muscles and veins and arteries in his body. And guess what? His fingers twitched. He breathed the cold air into his lungs and his eyelids matted with blood flickered open and he got up and he walked out of a first century coffin oh you you don't have a heart for the word of god come to the cross come to the resurrection and you will see the goodness of God. And guess what? In tasting and seeing the Lord is good in the gospel, you will long for more of the Word of God. How do you know God is good? For the Bible tells you so. You're struggling with the goodness of God. Get in the Word. You're struggling to get in the Word. Run to the cross. Run to the goodness of God in the gospel. And always remember this. The Word of God is a person who's been good to you. He's a person Jesus is the Word made flesh who is good to you. Not everyone that you look around who has flesh and blood in your life will be good to you. Some of them just can't because they're not God. And some of them will intentionally sin against you. And yet Jesus is a person who has and always will be good to you. Oh, I want us to be a people of the Word of God. You know, some of us think reading the Bible and thinking and talking about God, it's just hard and it's boring. And Satan loves that you believe that because it's such a lie. It's such a lie that you believe. Think about the stale information that you inhale on a daily basis that you just suck in and can't get enough of. You know, it's that time of the year where the Braves are playing, Tennessee Volunteers are doing something that they call playing football. It's not really that. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys are playing. And, and I, if I don't watch myself, I just become inundated with information. How many days and games to the Braves, my precious Braves, till they clinch the division? They are precious to me, by the way. <laughs> Let me roll your eyes at that. How the Reds doing? Is there a possibility that Tennessee will win an SEC game? Let me just study the facts and who's starting and who's... I've got to have some hope here. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, can they do it this year? Please, 
And I'm looking for information. And I'm reading constantly my Twitter and everything that I have. I'm just Dallas Cowboys, UT Vols, Braves. And it's over and I'm inundated. And you do the same thing. Some of you women, what's the first thing you look at when you wake up? Pinterest, whatever that is. Start pinning things. It's the last thing you do. Pinterest, Facebook. It's the first thing your eyes see. The first thing you hear. And you tell me you don't have time for the Word of God. You, I look myself in the mirror and say, I don't have time. Why? It's a lie. And Satan loves that you believe the lie. As you are addicted to stale information on a daily basis, as you inundate yourself with these things. I compare it to an illustration that John Piper one time told about watching a fireworks show. And I love fireworks. You know I'm from Tennessee. I love to blow things up. And I just, it is a worshipful experience on the 4th of July for me. But, but one thing John Piper did, he said, but look in the background of those fireworks and what do you see? You see the moon. The moon, which its radius is 2,100 miles in diameter. The, the, this massive thing that's lit up by the sun that is 27 million degrees at its center. And we are going, look at these fireworks, they're awesome. When there is... Tons of dynamite exploding in the sun behind the moon before our very eyes that God created. And it's the same thing that goes on when we just, when we're starving for the, for the things that we love, whether it's entertainment, whether, whether it's just the things that we want to digest into our hearts and our minds, and we love it and it amazes us. And yet behind it all is this cosmic encounter with the living God in the Word of God and we think it's boring. It's insane. And Satan loves that we believe it. You know, people are excited about what God is doing in our church and I am so, so thankful. So thankful. I don't know why anyone would ever come here on a Sunday morning. Walking through mud, tripping, tripping in gravel, whatever this is going on over here today and some sound over here today. I don't know what was back here today. Someone drilling through the wall. I don't know. It's just God's doing amazing things in the life of our church right now. But you don't want to know one of my prayers is, is that it would not just be a season. But 20 years from now, imagine this. A people who just love the Word of God. I, there's no bells and whistles here. I just love the Word of God. Lean in when the Word of God is spoken, when the Word of God is preached, where we carve out time in our life to get together with one another and tell one another what the Word of God is doing. And I want you to hold me accountable for raking the sin, the dead sin, the old me away so love can grow in my heart and we're committed to the Word of God no matter what. We can't get enough of it. Week after week, I want to know more about this story. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about God. There can't be anything more important. Show me in the Word of God the glory of Christ in the Gospel. Oh, what if we were a people who 20 years from now, what would we look like? So enamored with the Son of God's Word, I guarantee you we would be nauseated and we would be sick at our stomach. 
when we are tempted with the candy apples of sin.